So last week I ended the service like this, and then I found out after the service um, that our security team, we have a security team here for every service, every week, and somebody on our security team had sent out a text to everybody else. Well, here's the thing. Everybody else isn't always in here. Like, they're not all watching the message at the same time. And so somebody sent a, <laughs> a message out to our security team that said, man with a knife, should I take him out? And there are some people that weren't, they're like, yeah, take him out. Like, don't let him stay there. So I didn't even know that this was going around, but this is how we ended last week. Um, I brought this back out because I'm, I'm going to continue discussing a plan for purity this week. And by the way, this is, this is authentic. Um, this was made by the Maasai tribe in Kenya. Pastor Aaron DiMaggio brought me this when we couldn't find an authentic one while we were there. So this is, a, that's a real giraffe, right? Well, it's not a real giraffe, but it's a real stamp of a giraffe right there and uh, it's very sharp and it's very real I brought this back out um, I, yesterday we were uh, doing something that I hate it's called yard work um, some, who, who am I kidding I hate all work <laughs> like we just like you get me a book and ask me for a report in 24 hours that's done you ask me to help you paint your house I'm gonna find somebody okay so I, I just don't I just don't I just don't enjoy that but we went outside and and I found out my kids don't like it any more than I do um, and so, but we did it anyways, and some of us even had a smile on our face. My wife even joined in yesterday. She came out so cute in all of her little, you know, stuff, and then, but she had this, like, brand new pair of shoes on. I was like, girl, those are brand new shoes. Like, this is yard. Go back inside and change your shoes. I wasn't waving the knife at her. I didn't have this out there, but go change your shoes, because I know what's going to happen. She's going to get them dirty, and all of a sudden, I'm going to have another Amazon Prime box on my front doorstep. That's what's going to happen, and so she went in, changed her shoes and put some other cute shoes on that were probably not what she should have had on anyways I was mowing and weed eating and we were cleaning up around the yard and uh and I got this giant pile of grass up against my well it was some of it was grass did y'all know that y'all grow stuff down here it's unlike anything else that ever grows anywhere else like there are plants in my yard I have never seen before I go to pluck them and they bite me I mean that's what this is a true story. I've never seen stuff growing down in other places like it does down here. And all that stuff was chopped up and up against the rail of the fence. And so I took the blower and I was going to blow it into my neighbor's yard. I mean, off the fence. And uh, <laughs> he's not watching. So anyways, it was, uh, I was blowing it. And then all of a sudden in this pile of grass is this little you know what I'm talking about. He does the thing. I mean, he shakes up. And he's like, and then he goes through the fence. And I'm like, that was not a snake. It was 33 degrees two days ago. Like two days ago. I got in my truck in the morning and my truck said, be careful. Icy roads. I was like, brother, you don't know where I live. <laughs> Ain't no way there's ice, but it was cold two days ago. I'm blowing that off, and then I, I go around. So what I do is I call Megan. I was like, babe, I just saw a snake. Come here. And so she comes over there reluctantly, and, um, and I get the shovel, and I go around. Again, I didn't have this because I ain't getting this close to a snake. Y'all crazy? I ain't killing a snake with this thing unless I throw it at him. Yes. Uh, but, but I took the shovel, and I went around the corner, and I was trying to get her to show me where I was because I couldn't see through the fence. And, and I realized that I had gone too far, which means I just walked past the snake. I was like, oh, good, praise God. And I'm telling you, look, he's a scary booger. I mean, he's like this big. I mean, he was, 
scary, and he was angry, and he was biting at stuff, and, and he looked like a little ground rattler, but I don't know the difference. I treat them all as poisonous and dead. That's how I treat snakes, and so uh, I went around the corner, and, and I was trying to get him out away from the fence so he didn't go back in my yard, so I flipped him, and that was a mistake. He got more aggressive and angry, and so I took his, the shovel, and I, and I shoved his head down on the ground, and then I took my foot on the shovel and stuffed that down in the ground, and then I took the shovel, and I took a sledgehammer, and I started, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that last part. The first part was true. Um, and then I pulled it out, and his head was gone. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you do to a snake in the grass. But then I thought, why is that snake even there? Like, we, we're not even supposed to have snakes right now. It was 33 degrees the other day. And then it came to me. As the enemy always shows up when he is least expected. That's the moment. See, you thought you got delivered last week. Like, I repented, I confessed, I'm clean, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm free. And then all of a sudden, there's another snake in the grass all over again. And you got to go through the same process. What, to be saved again? No, to keep the snake out. To keep that serpent from rearing its head back in your life and coming, like Jesus said, could happen, coming to a house that has been cleaned, swept up, and put in order, but is empty. So this week, we want to go back into our message about a plan for purity. Because what you don't plan for, you will experience in the opposite direction. Things will happen to you. Some preacher or uh, motivational speaker said it this way. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So if you can pray all you want to. But if you don't prepare and plan, then you're not going to produce what you prayed for. You're just going to become a product of your actions or your lack thereof. And so this week, we're going to go back into the conversation of God's plan for purity. And I truly believe that that plan begins by repenting. Repent. Number one. It means to change your mind. That's God's desire, is that we would change our mind about the way that we think, about what we think is okay. If Jesus died for it, then it's not okay for us. If Jesus paid for it, then we don't get to stay in it. We repent. We do not allow what God has already set us free from to continue to have its way in and through our lives. It's not what Jesus' will is for us or through us. Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. And then he says that you should avoid sexual immorality. Like of all the things that Paul could have written right there, that is the one thing that he wanted to make sure that even America would know 2,000 years later. That this would be the snake in the grass that destroyed our relationship with Jesus, that destroyed our relationship with others, and ultimately destroyed us even as his bride. It is God's will that you would avoid this kind of immorality. And I've had people say, I've heard people say, I've even been the person that said it at times. Oh, well, God understands. Everybody falls short. That's what everybody does. 
Everybody, everybody goes out and parties. Everybody is living together these days before marriage. Everybody, everybody is attracted. Everybody struggles in their attraction or their affiliation. Everybody, everybody is addicted to things in the secret that nobody else sees. God understands. Listen, just because God understands that something is happening doesn't mean that he's okay with it happening. Just because Jesus loves me doesn't mean he's going to leave me or let me continue the way that I was before he found me. We're coming back to that. My point is, don't assume that just because everybody else is doing it, that it's okay for you. First of all, everybody else ain't doing it. There's still some people who are truly seeking God's will for their life and accomplishing that will. What is that will? That they would be sanctified. That they would be made holy. That they wouldn't continue in the process of sin and shame and destruction, but they would begin the process of healing, of salvation, of redemption, and freedom. Everybody is not doing it. A lot of people may be doing it, but that doesn't mean that it's okay. In other words, a lot of people may be living together or sleeping together or looking at things or going out to Second Street and getting snot-faced drunk, but that don't mean it's okay. Now, I'm not here to cast stones at you today if you've been struggling with any of that, or even if you did that last week. I said, next year, I'm going to preach a message on the Sunday of Mardi Gras called Skinny Sunday. (laughs) Anyway, so, (laughs) hey, listen, if it's not, hear me, watch, okay, and again, I'm I'm not trying to hurt your feelings today. I'm just saying, if you went to Second Street and you saw somebody decked out in a costume with a crazy-looking chicken mask rolling around on the ground poking at a beer can and guzzling that beer can down, and then that person took off that mask and it was me, would you be here this Sunday? The answer is no. You would think less of me. Don't you dare hold me to a higher accountability than you hold yourself. Don't you dare sit in that seat and think that I'm anything else but another person that happens to be in a pulpit. Am I going to be held to a higher accountability? No. I'm going to be held to the same accountability with more influence in who else I led astray. Don't mean you don't have influence. Don't mean you ain't leading somebody astray. The same that God has for me as your preacher in the house of God is what God has for you as a person of God. And if it ain't good for your preacher, come on, somebody, it ain't good for your temple. I'm just, I'm just trying to repent. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Changing my mind about what I thought was okay. Because what was God's will 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, is still God's will today. And just because America calls it maturity don't mean it ain't still immorality. Number two, confess. Confess. Like, repent, change my mind. This is not the right way, but I'm not going to stay in condemnation. I'm going to confess. This is the right way. I'm going to confess Jesus as Lord. I'm going to confess my sin to God because he's faithful and just to forgive. I'm going to confess my struggle to other people, not just the things that I used to struggle with. That's called a testimony. Like we're not digging back up old habits just to go over them over and over again and stay in our shame or stay in our struggle or be the victim of our past lifestyle. That's not what I'm talking about. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Be free if you've already confessed it and dealt with it. But if you're covering it up and you're hiding it, then it's time to start talking about it. Because the enemy would love to keep you in your secret. Because he knows that if he can keep you silent, he can keep you bound. 
But if he, being the Holy Spirit, can convince you to be open and honest, then he knows that honesty is the precursor of obedience. And you taking ownership of your former behavior is part of you moving forward in your new belief. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching. That's God's will for us. It's not condemnation. It's not that we would stay stuck in our same old sin, in our same shame, continue to stumble in the same things, at the same places with the same people. No, it would be that we would be open and honest and confess. Why? Because God, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, will bring every deed into judgment. Every single thing. In other words, we may as well confess it now. We may as well share now. We may as well be open and honest now because God will bring every deed into judgment along with every hidden thing, good and evil. Now, here's what the church does, and I didn't have time to go into this, but good and evil. Like God's going to bring into judgment your arrogance whenever you met Jesus and stopped acting like the fool that you used to be. God's going to bring into judgment your pride where you thought you were better than somebody just because you forgot how fallen you used to be. Good and evil. They're both in the tree we're not supposed to be eaten of. What's the opposite? Repent. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that in due time he would be able to lift you up and use you as an example of not just who not to be but who you should be. Repent and confess. Why? Because most of us would rather hide it than have a conversation. And you may even say, man, I'll hide that to my grave. The problem with hiding something into our grave means that we pay for it in eternity. And I can promise you that the consequence of confessing it on earth is going to be much less than the consequence of carrying it into eternity. So confess. Confession is the foundation of salvation. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin to God because he's faithful and just to forgive. What we cover to our grave, we pay for in eternity. But watch what Jesus did. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. God's will was for us to be made holy. Not in the process of continuing in our sin and in our shame, but God's will was that we would be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all time. Verse 14, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So the question is, what are you being made? Are you being made back into his image and likeness? Are you being made back into the former self that you wanted to be saved from? For he has made perfect those who are in the process currently of being made perfect. Sin will cost you more than you can ever afford to pay. And sin will take you further than you ever meant to go. But God. See, the good news is that it was by one offering that Jesus paid once and for all time. So whatever you've been through and whatever you've done, Jesus has paid for that. Whatever addiction you've had or currently fight, Jesus has paid for that. Whatever exhibition 
or uh, exploratory action that you may have taken or may have been taken towards you, whatever act of disobedience, whatever apathy, Jesus paid for that. But here's a truth that we all need to understand. Jesus loves us enough not to leave us the way that we found him. And it's really important that you understand that Jesus wasn't looking for you. He knew right where you were. You were a lost sheep that was away from the fold. And the shepherd left the 99 to go after the one. He wasn't looking for you. He knew right where you were. It was you that recognized that he was already standing even in the midst of your sin. And when you turn around and you recognize him and you confess him as Lord and you begin to surrender and submit to him, he began to do a work in you that only he could do that would be evident in the life that you now continue to live in him. He loves you enough not to leave you the way that you found him. It's the reason you can't continue in your sin with a clear conscience. You can't do it. Not whenever you recognized him, not whenever you confessed him. You can't continue to be less than Jesus died for you to be whenever you confess him as Lord and allow him to begin to speak into your life. You repent and you confess. Number three, you engage in the battle. This is where we're going today. I'm putting my sword up so that I don't accidentally knock it off the table and cut off my foot because that's for real sharp. It is for really real sharp. Now, here's a funny story about engaging in the battle this morning. I want you to understand what this battle is and where it really takes place. Whoop, watch that step. On the way here today, uh, I got here this morning and I realized that I had forgotten my sermon illustration. So I went up to our media team and, and, and Brooks could tell that I was looking for something and that I needed something. And I said, Brooks, I have, a, I have forgotten my brain. Like I left my brain at home. And he's like, oh, that's funny. I was like, no, no, really. Like, I called my wife. She's going to put my brain on the, the hood of her vehicle. Can you go back to my house and, and get my brain for me? And, he, and they were all laughing like, oh, yeah, no. This. And I'm like, no, no, for real. Like, I have like an actual like model of a brain I want to use today. I need you. I didn't like just forget my head. I, I, I legitimately like, this ain't my brain. We're calling him Fred. But it's an image. It's an image of, of a brain today. And I need you to understand that engaging in this battle begins right here. It's not just a battle of your hands. It's not just a battle of your habits. It's not even just a battle of your heart. That the battle that God wants you to win begins between your ears. But before we go to that place, you need to understand that the enemy that we fight doesn't fight fair. James, recording to some people that thought it may be God's fault that they were the way that they were, in chapter 1, verse 13, James says, Remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Well, I've been this way as long as I can remember. Hang on. Do not blame your exposure on your eternity. Just because you got something in you that's not supposed to be there doesn't mean that God put it there. We are still a fallen people in a fallen world. And you may be a certain way. That doesn't mean that God created you to be that way. Just because you have that feeling, you have that desire, or you have that thought does not mean that it was God's, God's desire or God's will for you to act on that thought. Well, I've felt this way or been this way or acted this way since I was three years old. I can remember when I was three, I was attracted to. I can remember when I was seven, I was doing. I can remember when I was 12, I've always just done this. Okay, that doesn't mean that that's what or who God created you to be. 
And just because that's what you've always been or what you've always done, James is saying, don't blame God for what you're struggling with because God ain't struggling with it. God paid for it. And he wants to make you perfect back into his image and likeness. And here's sin's plan. Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires. Temptation comes from our own desires. That's why Paul also wrote in the book of Corinthians that temptation is common to man. Do not, you have not tempted beyond what you are able, but that which is common to men. Okay? But God is faithful. He's faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, allow you a way to escape. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, avoid, flee sexual immorality. He echoed himself to the Thessalonians in chapter 4 verse 3. He said, avoid sexual immorality. He wrote to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22, flee youthful lust. So God's plan for your temptation, for my temptation, for our immorality is not a maintenance plan. It's not like we can stand so much and then if we cross this line we went too far if we watch this part of the movie but don't watch this part of the movie if we go to this website where they're partially covered or this website it's like I cross the line if I expose myself to too much no there's no there's no too much in this plan God's plan is not maintenance God's plan is avoidance God's plan for my purity was to repent of the things that I used to think was okay, confess to him, and now run away from my addiction. The people that want to keep me bound. The action that I have been doing. The thing that I know that I see and I truly desire but I don't want to be. What's the difference? Discipline is denying yourself of what you want now for what you know you want most. Some of you have heard me say that. I'm going to say that a whole lot. It's the difference in you overcoming your addiction and you continuing to be bound by your addiction. I know what I want most, therefore I deny myself of what I want now in the name of Jesus. Taking that thought, that temptation, that desire, taking that thought captive... And making it, making it, not begging God, oh Lord, please take it away. Take away the desire to sin. Take away this want. Take away this need. Oh God, I don't know why you put, no, the Bible still says his grace is sufficient for your every need. You may think you need what you're looking at, but what you really need is the grace that's sufficient for anything that you think you need. Take that thought captive and make it, make it obey. Why? Because temptation comes from our own desires. Those desires entice us and they drag us away from God's desire and God's will for our lives. And when that happens, that desire gives birth to sinful actions. So it went from a thought or a desire to something that I began to meditate on and I let conceive in myself and the Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. Take that thought captive. Make it obedient unto Christ. Or you're going to meditate on it, and it's going to conceive in you, and then it's going to begin to stir 
or incubate in you until all of a sudden something that you were just thinking about or you thought would be fun or was a pleasurable moment or an idea or a fantasy all of a sudden becomes your reality and you act on that thing that you said you never wanted to do. It gives birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, how is sin allowed to grow? When it's justified outside of the blood of Jesus. When you continue to do that sin and you accept it as okay because you're continuing to struggle. When you accept that sin is okay because Colorado said it was okay. Oh, I done gone there. When you accept that sin is okay when Baton Rouge said it was okay. When you accept that sin is okay when Washington said it was a. When you accept that sin is okay because that's tradition. Because we've been raised in this culture in South Louisiana and it's not hurting anybody. When you accept that sin is okay because it's in private and nobody else can see what you're looking at or what you're doing about what you're looking at. When you accept that sin is okay, it begins to grow. And as it grows, eventually it destroys. And sin continues to grow in the darkness. So what do you do? You shed light on it. Why? Because sin grows in the darkness, but fruit grows in the light. And when you shed the light of God on your life, you cannot... And refuse to, will not stay the way that you were. It's why Joshua and David said, I meditate. They were instructed and they understood. David said it this way, I meditate on your word. I don't care what America calls it. I don't care what Louisiana calls it. I don't even care if the church says it's okay. If Jesus died for it, then I'm going to crucify it too. That's who we are. It gives birth to the desire. I'm going to stick with Jesus so that I can achieve his will and his plan. Why? Because the enemy doesn't care if you're eight or 80. An eight-year-old can be innocently playing on an iPad that doesn't have the right restrictions or the right oversight by the right individual. A 12-year-old can learn how to take their cell phone to their bedroom when you're not around instead of leaving it in the living room where everybody else can see what they're looking at. The enemy does not care if he's supposed to be there or not. He will hide in the grass to strike the heel of a child so that that child begins to think that they were created to be some way that God did not create them to be. And then they struggle with it into their adolescence and it grows in their teenage years. And all of a sudden, it is just allowed in their 20s and 30s and 40s. And for some reason, the enemy waits until that person is at their highest potential and he exposes what they've been struggling with since they were five. He does not fight fair. We cannot play prevent defense and hope that the enemy does not throw a ball over our head. We need to be offensive. Submit to God. Resist the devil and or your devilish desires. 
can I just remind you this morning that the enemy is not omnipresent? It means he can only be under one rock at a time. So he probably ain't under the one that's standing by you. It's probably not his fault that you continue to fall, that I continue to fall. I do understand, however, that it is not against flesh and blood against which we fight, but against powers and principalities of darkness. So I understand that the devil did fall and he took a third of heaven with him. One third of heaven fell with him. So one third of heaven is like a snake in the grass. You know what I need to do? I need to stand on guard. I need to sharpen my sword. I need to make sure that I'm guarding the right people and the right things and not assuming that the enemy's not going to come after me just because I bled the blood of Jesus last Sunday. I need to understand what God's will is for me and continue to pursue him for his will. Engaging in the battle. Where is the battle? Well, the battle is right here. It's the war between our ears. This is the hardest battle that you will ever face. Excuse you. This is the hardest battle right here. We show that picture of the brain. So on your left is a, you know, fairly as normal as it can be brain. Ain't nobody's brain normal. Come on, somebody. We all messed up. <laughs> but that is as normal as a brain can be. You see the function of that brain. Okay, in that picture, here's how this is working. I know this is a little tough to see. But in that picture, the function of that brain is taking place in the cortex and the prefrontal cortex. That's here and down in here. Okay, this is the brain stem and... This is the limbic system. The cortex and the prefrontal cortex is where we reason and we make sound decisions, decisions that make sense, decisions that don't destroy our lives and or even our physical body. We make uh, decisions on health. We make decisions on exercise. We make decisions on what movies we, uh, we make right, reasonable decisions. The second, the second picture is a picture, a scan of a brain on heroin. The third picture is the scan of a brain on pornographic material. The last two are pictures of a brain that is being controlled not by the cortex and the ability to reason and make sound decisions, but by the limbic system, which is the pleasure center of the brain. It is, it is the center that sent a synapse between two neurons in my brain and a shot of dopamine into my body the first time that my wife and I, you don't know what I'm about to say, we tasted gumbo in South Louisiana with potato salad. My brain, whenever I tasted that gumbo with potato, there's little ears in here. I wasn't going there. You need to get your heads out of the ditches. What is the matter with y'all? All right, so, so with the first time we tasted gumbo with potato salad, my brain in my limbic system said, wow, where has that been? Why have I been eating minute rice? What is wrong with my world? Now, in the reverse direction, my brain now today, when somebody puts a tomato in my gumbo, says, what is wrong with these people? Because I had this sensation 
of pleasure that took place the first time that I tasted the way that it was supposed to be. Come on, somebody. Now, listen, I know you're hungry. I'm hungrier, okay? You'll get to eat before I do. Just hang in there with me for a second. If you look in these pictures, there's one tiny little dark, there's one tiny, it's a, it's a bright green spot right there at the bottom of the brain. What's that, what that is showing is that on heroin and on fantasy, or synthetic stimulation. Now, synthetic stimulation could be something that you're looking at that you're not supposed to be looking at, or it could be something that you're thinking about that you're not supposed to be thinking about, something that you're fantasizing about that is not currently what you have, someone that you're fantasizing about that is not currently who you have. So it could be a man looking at something that they're not supposed to be looking at. Or it could be a woman reading something that she's not supposed to be reading. It could be a woman watching TV and fantasizing about an individual man in this love story that is not even real. And yet comparing our relationship currently. It could be someone looking and scrolling on social media and seeing only the best of what people want them to see. And comparing their reality to a synthetic fantasy. It could be the man or the wife, holy and pleasing unto God. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Stop consuming the Coke and the Snickers. Oh, I done gone there. And get ready for the strawberries and be transformed by the renewing of your... That's God's will. It's not about sinning less. It's about repenting and confessing and engaging in the battle. And forming new pathways and new patterns in not just what you do or how you behave, but in how you see the world and base your decisions in the world. According to God's word. That's why it's so important that we don't let culture define for us what is right and what is wrong. That we don't call mature what God and Paul and Moses and all of the writers under the unction of the Holy Spirit called immoral. But we build boundaries. And we don't just not look. Or as the, I had a youth pastor one time, he's like, you know, the first look's not sin. It's the second look that'll get you. So here's what I do. I look for a really long time, just once. If I look away or blink, I'm in sin. But as long as I don't look away and I don't look again, I'm not in sin. He said, I can look. It's not a sin to see something. It's a sin to meditate on what you see. If that what you see is not God's will for you. If that which you desire is not God's will for you. If it's synthetic, build a boundary. Parents, can I help you? If all of a sudden your 12-year-old started taking 45-minute showers, hello, come on. We got to talk about it somewhere. Develop some, we, get out of there, boy. If all of a sudden you've got an 8, 10-year-old that can't go to the bathroom or their bedroom without their cellular device, if all of a sudden it seems like they are stuck to that thing, something's up, y'all. Leave that thing in the living room. They may ha hate you now, but they'll love you later. But you got to open up the opportunity to have a conversation. If they think that when they come to you, all you're going to do is crucify them and make them feel even more condemned than they already feel, guess what they're not going to do? 
But God didn't call you to be their friend. He called you to be their parent. Not just tell them, but train them and imitate it in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Leave that thing in the living room. Turn that thing off. I got my cell phone sitting right down there beside my wife. She's got every passcode. She knows every password. I can't even get into some websites because she forgot the passcode that she put on it. We got 11 failed attempts at trying to type something in so that I could even study for this, for this series. Can't even go to conquerseries.com on my cell phone. Babe, please remember the passcode. I'm sorry. She does it again, shuts my phone down for an hour. <laughs> like, goes stone cold. I don't care. It's a boundary. When we, again, this is a third service only. When we, when we send text messages to other people of the opposite sex, we put one another in the text message. I require our staff to do that. Why? Because I know that there's a snake in the grass waiting for an opportunity. We downloaded accountability software on every single device that anybody on this staff has in their personal and or public. And if you don't like it, that's fine. There's a bunch of churches with pastors out there that ain't worried about things that you're going to end up struggling with. But if you work here, we'll have accountability. And we'll have boundaries. So we're going to build hedges so high and so wide that we make sure that if you get on the other side, it's because you stink and scaled it with a rope of sin, not because you got hung by it unintentionally. And then we're going to be accountable to God and one another. James said it this way. This is where we're finishing. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens. You know, the truth is, the truth is, if you were going to win this battle alone, you'd already done it. But God didn't create you to be alone. He created you to be in communion with Him and people that love Him and are trying to seek Him and find His will for their lives. That's God's desire for you. Last scripture. Acts chapter 19, verse 18. The Bible says, many of those who were now believers. In other words, just because you became a believer doesn't mean that you just all of a sudden became protected from anything that you're not supposed to do. In fact, if you feel like the enemy's after you, it's probably because he knows you're about to do something specific and incredible for the kingdom of God. So he has amped up the attack because he's trying to keep you in secret so that he can keep you bound. Because he knows that if you get free in the name of Jesus, then you are going to begin to empty hell of the people that it wanted to possess. The sons of Sceva, the Bible says many who were bound became believers, confessing and divulging their practices. This is right at the end of this story of the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19. These sons went into this possessed man's house. Remember, I told you, you can't disciple a demon. There's only one thing, to cast it out in the name of Jesus. These guys went into this demoniac's house. And they began to try to cast out this demon. And here's what they said. In the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, I command you to come out. That demon looked back in their face and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? 
And that demoniac attacked those sons of Sceva, and they whipped them in the physical. That demoniac whipped them boys in the physical in the same way that they were in the spiritual. They ran out of that house as naked and ashamed in the physical as they were actually in the, in the spiritual. Here's the point. Your victory will not be found in someone else's confession. Your victory will not be found in somebody else's relationship with Jesus. Your victory will not be found just because you happen to sit in these seats at this church, in this sanctuary. Your victory will not be found because you happen to surround yourself. Maybe that's part of your victory, but your victory will only be found when you confess Jesus as Lord, when you confess your sin, when you start to share your secret and you become open and honest, which will lead to obedience. And when you do that, your story of God's redemption in and through everything that you've been through and everything that you were, then and only then can your story inspire someone else's victory. It can't be done through somebody else. It can't be done through the Jesus that Paul preaches. It's got to be done in your personal relationship, personal confession, and then I pray. I have never enjoyed my relationship with Jesus more than I do right now. I have never enjoyed my relationship with my bride more than I do right now. Because I began to engage the battle that is my purity. And the sin and the shame and the scars that only the blood of Jesus had could cover in my life will not in Jesus' name even be known by my children or my children's children because God has already cleansed us and he is filling us and making us new and our story will inspire somebody else's victory. You can't find victory in somebody else's confession, but if you will begin to know Jesus, if you will begin to find freedom, if you will begin to discover purpose and you will begin to impact somebody else's eternity, then your story can inspire somebody else's victory. You can empty hell, engage in the battle and be victorious in the name of Jesus. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus our Lord. The same thing he did in me, he wants to do in you, young and elder alike. He wants to do in your children and your children's children. If you would bow your head, let's pray to Father. I pray right now. Before we gather our things, before we get our stuff together, God, give, give you 90 seconds of evaluation. May we examine who we are and where we are in our relationship with you. God, is there any area of impurity in us? Is there any area of bitterness in us? Unforgiveness, disobedience, financial, physical, mental, spiritual. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you right where you sit with every head bowed, every eye closed. Ask God that question. Lord, is there anything that I need to change today before I leave this place? Is there anything that I need to change? I need to write down. I need to do differently. I need to delete out of my phone. I need to throw away out of, our, out of my music, out of my files. I need to build this boundary. I need to be accountable in this area. 
The Holy Spirit will let you know if you ask. Ask Him. Write it down. Make a mental note. I dare you to put it in your phone or write it down on the bulletin. Put it in your pocket. And begin to let God do something based on your obedience to what He's already done. Cleansing. Even the believers came confessing and divulging their practices. God, what what do we need to change? What would cost us more in eternity if we don't confess it and deal with it here? Write it down. Deal with it. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to receive salvation right where you are, I want to invite you just to open your hands. If you need to receive forgiveness today because you haven't been following Jesus, because you haven't been living his will for your life. If you need to receive forgiveness today for sin or shame or guilt or condemnation, right where you sit, I want to invite you. You don't even have to raise your hand. I just want to invite you to open your hands right where you are and begin the journey that is God's will for your life by believing, putting your belief in him and confessing him as Lord. Church, I want to ask you with hands open and hearts willing. Let's all pray this prayer together out loud today as we bring this service to a conclusion, but we walk out of here transformed. Come on, let's say it out loud. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short, where I allowed my pleasures and my desires to be my decisions. Save me, cleanse me, Heal me from the world, the enemy, and myself. Help me to follow you with all of my heart. Take my life and make it yours. In Jesus' name, amen.